welcome to In Good Company, a brand new podcast presented by me, Cary Grant, tackling the issue of loneliness in older people. Commissioned by Fittleworth, one of the largest home delivery services of medical devices like stoma pouches and catheters, and in association with the older people's charity Independent Age, this podcast series is all about reconnecting people. We want to ensure, no matter where you are in the country, if you're feeling lonely or isolated, you have the tools and support to take the first step towards reconnecting with others. This is an issue that's very close to my own heart, uh, having struggled with how to return to normality after a diagnosis with Crohn's disease when I was a lot younger. And I always say that it, it took me about five years. And that five years was really complicated. It felt like I was a burden to my family, so I didn't want to talk about it. It felt like if I talked to the people I work with, they didn't understand what Crohn's disease was. And if I spoke to other people who had Crohn's disease, it felt like they really didn't understand the world that I was living and working in. So it was incredibly isolated. And it was almost as though that diagnosis felt like I'd been dropped in the middle of Piccadilly Circus and been told, right, you've got to find your own way home. And I remember thinking, how do I get through this? How do I find my way home? How do I find what normal is? And it was like not having a map and trying to find my way home from the centre of London. And how would I get there? What roads would I take? And it was, you know, it was one of those journeys that probably would have taken me days and months and months and months. And so it was the first time that I got the piece of news like, this is it, you have a disease. That was what it felt like. The second time, you know, you get the next bit of news, which, OK, now you're going to need surgery or something. And, and it seems like the news gets worse. And that's again like, OK, I've been slap bang dropped in the middle of Piccadilly Circus again. How am I going to get home? But the thing is, you realise the second time, actually, I've done this before. And so you know that even though it's incredibly inconvenient, you will find your way home. The third time you get sort of ducked under, as it were, and you get thrown in there again at Piccadilly Circus, you think, oh, yeah, here we are again. I know I'm going to find my own way home. And it's, it's not great, but you know you'll do it. And I think it's, it's like that. It's about building resilience. When you're given bad news or life changes, those sort of curveballs that life throws at you, where you think, how will I get through this? Actually, you do get through it and you do build resilience. No matter what age you are, you're still building resilience. And, you, you know, it is like that Piccadilly Circus. By the fourth or fifth time, you're like, OK, this is normal life now. Or this is where I walk without a map. But I know the way now. I know the route. Uh, and that's that's part of dealing with it. And loneliness and isolation and dealing with that is part of the journey. In the first of this three-part series, I'll be speaking to award-winning mental health campaigner, film producer, public speaker, writer and vlogger, Johnny Benjamin, MBE, whose own experience of isolation after diagnosis of schizoaffective disorder resulted in him feeling so low he was ready to take his own life on Waterloo Bridge. Until one simple act of human connection from a stranger called Mike altered the entire course of his life for the better. I'm also joined by Independent Age's Assistant Director of Services, Simon Hewitt Averson, and one of Fittleworth's clinical liaison nurses, Jackie Walker. They'll be giving their expert insight and guidance on some of the issues explored in Johnny's work. 
We'll also be putting questions submitted by you, our listeners, Fittleworth clients and members of the public to Simon and Jackie for their advice on how to cope with specific issues and recommendations on where you should look for further support. Johnny, welcome to the podcast. It's so lovely to have you here with us. Now, I've outlined your story in my introduction, but what I wanted to pick up on is this pivotal moment in that story of the stranger on the bridge where you meet the stranger, where this man appears. And I guess picking up on this concept of connection, how important is connection Oh, um, for me, I felt um, I'd been in hospital for a month before I went to the bridge and um, I kind of became a bit sort of institutionalised, I think. You didn't have, like, human conversations in the hospital. Um, It was weird, so... You know, my psychiatrist and and the nurses used to come round and they'd... uh, they come around with their clipboard and they'd say, right, Johnny, you know, on a scale of one to ten. Oh, I hate those scales. Oh, what is it with scales? They are obsessed <laughs> with the scales. Everything, everything oh, is... everything. Because it's know, evidenced. It all has to be evidenced. So you need a scale. But they never... Oh, that that human connection was so, so lacking. And I'm not I'm not trying to criticise. It's just, just the way they do it. But it was... So when I... I, I just couldn't take it anymore. And and for me, what happened to me is I, because um, I was suicidal. So And I I, yeah. I I said when I felt suicidal, but whenever I said I felt suicidal, they would say, right, well, you need to go back to the, the suicide ward. Um, and the suicide ward is kind of, everything's taken away from you and it's just a room and you just have to sit in this room while someone watches you 24-7. People used to come in and take turns watching me, but they would never talk. They were just kind of... Um, it was so weird. It was almost like I wasn't in the room. Um, well, like when they did the handover, it was like, well, he's yeah, so he's been doing this today, and he's been doing that, and it was it was like a, it was just so it's weird. Impersonal. Absolutely, and I just couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't take it anymore. Um, which is why I just, it just was a constant cycle of me um, being sent back to this this kind of suicide ward, and there was just no progress. So for me, when I went to this bridge and um, this guy, young guy, just came up to me, he stood next to me and he just chatted to me like kind of normal. Do you know what I mean? And I hadn't had that for such a long time. Um, even when my <laughs> even when my family came to visit, they didn't know what to say. And we used to sit and watch TV and no one no one knew what to say to each other but there was something about this guy he was just so um human really with me and yeah i hadn't had that human interaction for like a month um and he just talked to me like you know yeah what are you doing here and you know tell me a bit more and um, it was just i think the fact that he was just so um open and like just cool and 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 just just really grounded and and calm and just just wanted to to have a chat with me um so there was a desire to connect with oh, you oh yeah for sure but 
and, and not just about what was going on in my head, you know. So this guy on the bridge, he started to ask me all sorts of questions, like where did I grow up and what football team did I support? And I was like, whoa, like... Um, That's a conversation. Yeah, absolutely, which I... Like I said, I keep saying I haven't, I hadn't had, and even when you're, you know, even in the hospital with the other patients, um, you just, you, you didn't have a normal, what was there to talk about? I mean, yeah. well, everyone usually talks about the weather, um, the, the, what, what, there was nothing to, to really say. It was just so almost like traumatic. Um, yeah. But yeah, this guy, just the way that he connected with me, um, it kind of, it, well, it took me out of the headspace I was in, I think. Um, the way that he like was asking me all these questions about my life. Because um, when, I, when I got that diagnosis and was put into hospital, it felt like a life sentence. So it felt like there wasn't... I just didn't see a way forward. There wasn't any... All the things that I wanted to do in life just kind of went out the window as soon as I got that diagnosis. And I was like, <laughs> this, I'm done. My life is done. So for this guy to come along and start talking to me as if um, everything was was kind of I don't know not not back to normal, but um, I was more that he saw me as more than this patient, this diagnosis, and uh, I think that that did something to yeah. me. It's so interesting you say it in that way because I think of mental health and physical health as being quite separate in a way mm. and, and they are so much more joined than we realised and I know that there will be people listening thinking mm. I've not necessarily gone through that no, that mental sure. health challenge but actually my life is so completely medicalised sure. <laughs> I've now got all these things I've got to do because I've got this and that and the other and yet they're probably desiring those same things that you yeah. were desiring it's just can someone just talk to me normally whatever normal is but just normally <laughs> I know for sure I uh, yeah I mean th there was to be fair there was a few individuals in that hospital that did come and you know talk to me in a sort of like normal yeah. way you know they'd actually come into my room and um you know sit down next to my bed and th they'd talk to me about you know their life I wanted to I was sick of talking though everyone was like talk, you know you need to talk about yourself you need to talk about your feelings you need to yeah. get out your head and 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 I it was so nice when these individuals came, these, these nurses, and used to sit with me and share a bit about them and, um, again, talk about the outside world. That I think as well, I think for me that the thing was um, was hope, um, which was, so again, so lacking in the hospital. And this guy on the bridge just had this... Um, he had this. He had, such a, he had such a positive sort of way about him. He was, he was smiling and... Um, you know, he kept on reinforcing the message. You know, mate, you're going to be all right. You know, you're going to be, you're going to be all right. And again, I hadn't, hadn't had that message in the hospital. Um, everything was just so bleak yeah. in in the hospital. No one around me was getting any better. Um, that message of of hope and positivity just was was not there. So when this guy just, and again, he, the way he said it to me, it was just, it was just so kind of like. Ordinary, like, maybe you'll be, you'll be all right. That's so encouraging, Johnny, because in a way, what you're saying there is it's not like someone came along that was a highly trained professional mm. that knew exactly what they had to say. It's yeah. just kind of someone having a chat. Yeah, absolutely. How and important is that in life? So important. And <laughs> I mean, to be honest, and I, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to criticise anyone, but to be honest, even when I came out of hospital, my friends and family sort of, treated me a bit differently um only because they didn't 
know, I guess, how to how to deal with it. But my friends used to kind of sit me down and say, right, Johnny, like, you know, you need to talk to us. You have to talk to us. You know, tell us what's going on. It was so formal and um, un- uncomfortable. Whereas, again, this guy on the bridge was just so, like, just casual. And, and I think as well, I think as well, looking back um, on, on the bridge, there was a lot of um, kind of space and, like, gaps when we were talking. It wasn't... Um, but it didn't feel like an uncomfortable silence. It just felt he was just giving me time, I think, to really to really talk. And again, in the hospital, it was like, you know, you had five minutes with the psychiatrist because he had to visit everyone. And so you had to get everything out in five minutes. And, you know, there's kind of this this pressure. And um, whereas with this guy, it just felt like he, he gave me this time and space. And I think that's so lacking um, in today's modern world, we we always have somewhere to be, somewhere to go. Um, we don't give people the time, the space to really be and 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 talk. And again, this this guy on the bridge was. He said to me, he "said I'm not going anywhere." Like you know, wow. and oh, yeah, I think that yeah, was really powerful precious. when uh, when he said that. Yeah. When we think about the elderly, yeah, they often, not always, but often will have a, the reverse of that in that they have not lots mm. of friends trying to it, no, it, sure. sort of get into their lives. They've got all the time in the world, though. Mm. You know, it's, it's you're saying, you know, I it know. is really busy, busy, busy when you're younger yeah. and everything's rushing past. There's sure. lots of, loads of friends, but kind no, of, do we sure. really know people? No. But when you're old, you can you can have all that time and it should be a time where, wow, I've got all this time now. Mm, absolutely. So how do you... Absolutely. Obviously, your, your work, I know that a lot of your work is with younger people, but mm. how does that person today that's listening that feels lonely, how do they begin to reach out? Do you know, for me, actually, I think for me it was, I started by writing. That was my way of doing wow. things because um, I couldn't, I couldn't vocalise what was going on. I couldn't, I just... I'm really embarrassed, really embarrassed, really, really ashamed, um, and just didn't have the confidence to really, to really talk about what was going on. So actually, in the hospital, there was one or two nurses that really encouraged me to write, and I'm so glad that they did because that was my way. That was my way of kind of dealing with it at first was just writing everything down and again like so finding your voice yeah but but uh, yeah absolutely but and writing without any again any pressure you know i think you know from education we're so used to kind of um when we write you know we have to watch our spelling and our grammar and um it's you know, yeah. but this but this was writing f- for me to get everything out and so i didn't worry about you know what was being written if it made sense and my handwriting was i just wrote and i wrote and i wrote and once i started um, I don't know, I just, every day I just found it a bit easier to, more, more and more came out as I was writing. Um, and that really helped me to eventually, eventually, I think, begin talking. Um, I think, yeah, for me it was that also, I think, um, for me, uh, finding role models that were talking, I think that was key. Um, watching other people actually share, yeah, their experiences of, of, um, what had been going on for them, whether it was a, 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 a mental health issue or, or physical health issue, just watching people. There was um, a family friend of ours that had a, a massive heart attack a few years after I, I I got my diagnosis and I went to see him after he'd had this this heart attack and I sat down with him and he, he just told me really kind of 
honestly and openly everything that had happened to him with with the heart attack and you know the first pains in his arm while he was driving the the bypass he had and I sat there and it just really kind of inspired me to to talk about what would been going on for me I was like why do I have to hide this you know this guy is is sitting there uh, talking openly in about detail, yeah yeah why do I have to cuz I did I felt like um I felt again I felt embarrassed I felt I didn't want to burden anyone I think that was the key I didn't want to burden anyone um I didn't want to make anyone feel uncomfortable um I didn't want people to judge me I was And is this why because your charity is called Beyond Stigma yeah, and Beyond Shame Absolutely and those you're talking a lot about stigma absolutely. and shame and, absolutely. and people do feel ashamed whether that's yeah. about a medical problem or it's about feeling lonely Absolutely and 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 you know Looking back, I, I spent so many years of, of feeling that shame and that, that stigma. And um, I lost a lot of years, I think, because of that shame and that sure. stigma. getting them back now, my goodness. <laughs> I'm trying. Making up for a lot of lost trying. time. Trying. But yeah, because, um, but when I finally, the, the key for me, I remember, I remember actually there was one friend, that, um, a good friend of mine, and um, I wanted to tell him, I really wanted to tell him everything that had been going, going on for me. Um, but I was so worried about him rejecting me. And I, I told him, I eventually sat down with him one day, I told him everything that had happened to me. And he was just so fine about it. And he was like, mate, that's, that's fine, mate, I'm here for you. And I was like, oh my God, in my head, in my head, I built up this, this story of how you're going to reject me and you're going to walk out and, you know, you don't want to be friends with me anymore. And actually it kind of brought us closer together because I was so honest with him and kind of vulnerable and... Um, and actually, not just him, but everyone. Everyone, um, to be honest, I'm really lucky. I mean, everyone that I started opening up to just wanted to um, just be there for me. And and um, like I said, the, the stories are built up in my head of, of, of people kind of... Um, yeah, just how just, they were going to respond. Yeah, and... you do, you do. Well, I, I, I did. I, I, I think I, we do. Yeah, that's quite a natural thing to do. Yeah. If I say this, 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 let me think what yeah. they might say, I so know, I can right? think about what I might say next. Yeah, rather absolutely. than just going with it. I know. I notice on I your T-shirt there, your sweatshirt, you've got hopeful. Yeah, written. absolutely, absolutely. That that hope, because I, you know, you know, I have relapses and, um, uh, you know, go back into hospital, and I think that hope is so so important because it's an old-fashioned word but it's such an important oh, one it's such an important one so i mean um you know in the, in the beginning after i was diagnosed when i had relapses my psychiatrists i had a few different psychiatrists and they were they, there was they were very negative <laughs> when i used to have my relapses they'd say well you know you, you know you have you been taking your medication properly and you should have been doing this better and should have been looking after yourself more and just really like well you know, you're going to have to come into hospital. We don't know how long you're going to be in here for. It was just... But now, when I, I'm really lucky, I've got a psychiatrist that when I have a relapse, I come in and, you know, the first thing that she says to me is, um, you know, we're going to get you better. Um, you know, we're going to get you... Uh, <laughs> we're going to get you well again. And um, I mean so much to hear that, I think, because... Uh, That's real hope. Yeah. You know, if, 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 yeah. The, if the professional is putting their faith in me, it's about pe people putting their faith in you I think when you're you know like the guy on the bridge put his faith in me when um <laughs> you know because everyone in the hospital in that first hospital was saying to me well Johnny you know we don't know you're very unwell <sighs> and um, someone give me some <laughs> hope in here <laughs> right exactly exactly I mean um yeah 
that's all you want. Well, not all you want, but it makes such a difference. It makes such a difference that guy said to me on the bridge, a stranger, you know, he didn't know me, but he put his faith in me. And um, just hearing that. You're amazing. You really are truly amazing. Just in terms of looking ahead. Yes. I mean, I'm not sure if you do more than one day at a time because I'm sure part of your strategy is just to do one yeah, day at a time. Yeah, I know, right? But you've, what, just what's coming up uh, in the next few months for you? Let's briefly hear about that. Yeah, so, I mean, um, really focusing on on this charity that we've created, Beyond Shame, Beyond Stigma. Um, because we do, we need to move beyond that that shame, beyond that stigma. Um, it took me a long time to... <laughs> really kind of get the help and support I needed. Even after I was diagnosed, um, I didn't really get the help and support that I truly needed. I kind of had to find that out for myself. Um, almost sort of can't just rely on on like the services. No, you um, certainly can't. <laughs> no. Um, I mean, yeah, but, but, but Beyond Shame, Beyond Stigma is about actually trying to improve not just the access to services, but the quality, the quality of of the help and support that people get. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sure you've heard it a million times about how people um, will turn up at their GP or go to A and E, and they just they just don't get the help and support they need. The again, it, it's about the individual connection, you know, the the empathy, the empathy, and it, it doesn't take much for someone just to show some some empathy and the difference that that can make, the ripple effect. I mean. Um, we talk about it all the time because, you know, the ripple effect of the guy on the bridge, if he, you know, if he hadn't stopped me, then, you know, the effect that he's had just on one person yeah. and the effect that you can have day to day on, you know. I remember recently I was, you know, I was in London and London could be quite a cold mm. place, as you know, um, but someone just smiled at me like a stranger on the street and that's quite rare. <laughs> but it, it, it changed my day. I was having a bad day and someone smiled at me and that changed my whole kind of, um, yeah, like demeanor for the rest of the day. So then my interaction with the next person was different because that one person smiled at me. It passed I, it on. Yeah, that ripple effect. That, it can be the smallest thing, it, it can't can. it? It can, it really can. It really can, yeah, absolutely. And you're building a community of people mm. that will help one another and reach out that are yeah. outward focused. That's the thing because, you know, meet so many people in isolation um, across the country I mean, living in London, I think, you know, you can live in a bit of a bubble, actually. Um, so, you know, I've been to all sorts of, 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 of places around the country, like the Isle of Man and um, kind of the the, um, the far west of, of Cornwall and, yeah, the isolation. I think, again, you know, living in London, you kind of take for granted that, you know, all the isolation. Everything's on your doorstep. But even then, you know... Um, Still isolating. St- st- yeah, in London, I mean, London can be <laughs> the most isolating place in the world at times. You might be surrounded by um, all these people. But, you know, I, I go on the Tube and um, it's a strange place, the Tube, because, you know, everyone's scared to look at each other, even though we're all mm-hmm. packed into this one train. I remember, actually, um, it was after the, the Manchester Arena um, bombings. Um, I remember being on the tube the next day and everyone had the paper in front of them they picked up the paper and there was you know the we, we were all reading about this this awful awful tragedy and i just wanted to i looked at everyone around and everyone you could see it really affected everyone but yeah. no one wanted to connect to each other and i was just desperate to kind of you know talk to someone yeah. about that and 
Um, Sometimes it is about daring to take that first step, isn't it? It's like yeah. up, up the first, like the first one on the dance floor. Yeah, you're I'll be right. the one that goes. Yeah, this is really sad, right? And yeah. so that everyone else can go. Yeah, it's Absolutely. really. We're all feeling this in this train carriage. Absolutely, and that, and you know, again, going back to the the bridge. Um, the thing with this this guy is he. So obviously, I, I know him now. I work with him, and the thing with him, what I what I really really admire about him is he's not afraid. He doesn't have a filter like. You know, when I see someone maybe in trouble, um, I don't know, maybe there's a little argument going on on yeah. the tube. I'm like, oh, should I get involved? Should I not? He doesn't think about it. He just goes straight in there and he's like, right, I'm going to I'm gonna go there. I'm going to talk to them. He's not afraid to, to kind of have that confidence to just, you know, go and talk to someone just to intervene. And I kind of Sometimes wish I... Sometimes being filterless is a gift. Yeah, it, it is. <laughs> it is. It is. I think it really is because... You know, you just... We're too respectful. I, I know. just respect your space. And while you're having the argument or breakdown, I'll just I respect you rather than... My I husband's know. the opposite. He'll just go up, hugs everybody. That's amazing. And when I first met him, I thought, I'm gonna, I need to learn how to do that. That's know, so good because yeah. everyone responds so well Absolutely. to it. Absolutely, they do. They really do. But it's that fear. I wonder how many people of us, uh, I wonder how many of us kind of have that fear like all the time. All the time I see, you know, like people, again, in London, you know, people on the streets and I want to... You know, I might give them, I might give them some change or something, and I want to kind of talk to them, but then I'm kind of like, oh, well, you they know, love chatting. Yeah, I know, absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's that fear, isn't it? The fear of um, saying the wrong thing, yeah. or um, yeah, for me, I think it's you know saying the wrong thing. Um, I don't want to. Um, Again, it's all about I think being kind of accepted and, and yeah. not rejected. Am I going to say the wrong thing and upset someone, or or make a situation worse for someone when it's I finding should the just... language is it? Find it's like a new language almost to talk about your inner world. Absolutely, and you're clearly you speak that language so fluently now. But it's taken takes it takes, takes a takes while, time. doesn't it, to learn? It takes time, but that's okay. And I think um, yeah, it comes with practice. I think it comes with yeah. a lot of a lot of practice. Um, Again, I think I think the the the, the writing helped. I think because I had no I had no understanding. I had no insight. I think, and again, um, with with kind of the medical services, it was very much like you know you've got this uh, illness. The this is the medication, and that's it. You know, yeah, that's you've got it. Your meds, bye. Yeah, mm. and um, no one. I wanted to. No one wanted to talk about my, why I was delusional or, or hearing a voice or depressed. No yeah. one wanted to go into it. And actually, it's taken me years, years to find a therapist that is willing to sit down with me and actually, you know, not be afraid of it, actually. Yeah. Not be afraid. Um, That's so true. I know that from the mental illnesses that my children have gone through. Yeah. To, it stopped me being afraid. I've been faced so much with my children, mm. like some of the stuff you just said there. And... Um, Actually, I'm not afraid of mental health anymore. Mm. I'm not afraid. I think we have this sense of uh, the crazy people. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? We and do, actually, we do, yeah. That's not, we need to get rid of that. Absolutely. And just look at, everyone has health, everyone yeah, has mental exactly, health. Exactly, And at times, it's really challenging. Sure. So it doesn't have to be frightening. I know, but, I, but people are, people, people are. are. Even, even today, you know, to, we they are. They need to are, be able to ask the dumb questions, don't they? Come with the dumb questions. Johnny, thank you so much oh, no, thank you. for chatting. Thank Will you, you join us later yes, for I'd a few to. Q&As? I'd love to. I'd thank love you. To. Thank you. 
Now, if you've been affected by anything that we've been talking about so far, we can, of course, signpost you to the Samaritans. Their number is 116123. That's the Samaritans, 116123. Now let's open this up by moving on to our panel discussion. I'm joined by Independent Ages Assistant Director of Services, Simon Hewitt-Averson, and one of Fittleworth's clinical liaison nurses, Jackie Walker. So guys, we've heard from Johnny talking about loneliness, social isolation, and that's something can be that can be experienced by anyone of any age, isn't it? So according to an NHS report just recently, more than 2 million people in the UK feel lonely and cut off from society. This feeling is particularly prevalent amongst those aged 75 and over. Simon, why is that the case? Uh, So we know there are certain things that um, increase our chance of feeling lonely, you know. Um, So things like losing a loved one that can be particularly prevalent, you know, as we age. Uh, As we age, our health and mobility can also deteriorate. And I think um, that that plays a big part in the size of people's communities and how they shrink. Um, and I met a, actually met a lady only a few weeks ago now who was talking about her, her network and, and the community around her and how over the last few years she's really started to notice that shrinking around her. And, and she gave an example of um, of this this bench that had been damaged and not fixed by the local council and now she can't make it to her to her nearest shop. And so actually that's becoming smaller and smaller again. So oh, these really small little bench, things. Like yeah, she'd stop halfway. halfway. Yeah, and so her interaction now... Whereas it might have been once a day with with the person in the, in that shop, you know, has now been reduced to when her neighbour can go and, and do some shopping for her. So there's lots of things that play into it. We we've talked to some some older men uh, recently, and I think this is one of those things that particularly may may affect the. Um, as chaps is is that sort of cliff edge that people have described to us around retirement so it's not a transition it's just a one day you're working the next you're yeah, not and actually that off. that circle of friends that you've had or colleagues you know just stops and you need to find that you know what your purpose is again now and actually what am I going to do next so it's not it's not a thing you know loneliness is a a, a very complex uh, emotion it's a natural emotion it's letting our body like us know that um, that we need more and, and a higher quality relationship. So in the same way that, that, that thirst tells you, you, you know, you need something to drink and hunger means you need some food. You know, loneliness is saying, actually, well, you're missing something. You need something a bit more. Yeah, this is, this is what Johnny was alluding to, isn't it? Yeah. And for you, Jackie, uh, with the, the patients and clients that you work with, yep. um, how are they presenting? Their, are they presenting as lonely and isolated sometimes? When I start off having a conversation with them, it does very much focus on their medical condition at the at the time. And then as you build up a, um, a bit of a relationship with that person while you're on the telephone they'll, and you ask different questions, they'll start to say that, oh, my partner passed away a long time ago. Um, my daughter lives such a long, long way away, different things like that. So you then start asking more questions and then you, you do find out... They don't. They don't turn around and say they're lonely, but you find out they are lonely. Yeah. It's a really interesting point. I think we we very rarely. So we, we have a we have a free phone helpline that we, we speak to thousands of, of older people and their friends and family a year. But there's very few that actually phone up and say I'm lonely. Mm. You know, we will talk about a, a financial issue or a health concern, and actually, you know, after after someone on the end of the phone just taking the time to listen, then you'll get to the the cause of why they're actually ringing, which is a really interesting point. Being heard is such an important part of. Yeah. Being a human, isn't it? Yeah. To know that your voice is heard. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I when I talk to a patient, 
and they will feed back to me that it was just so nice having a talk to somebody. And we may well have spent 10% of our time talking about their medical condition and all the rest of the time was what their hobbies used to be and what they'd like them to be and why they don't go out and all different things. So, You mentioned earlier, Jackie, that, that people are sometimes at a distance from their relatives now. Is that something that you're finding in your work as well, Simon? Uh, yeah, definitely. I think, you know, as, as society, we are spreading apart a bit more and I think it goes both ways. Um, so, yes... Um, the sort of children of parents, you know, are moving away for work or families, whatever it might be. But actually, we also find it the other way where uh, I met a chap the other day who who lived all his life in Brighton. His family moved away, but because of his care needs, felt that he, he needed to move back in with his daughter, you know, quite some, some distance away. And so though although he was surrounded by his family, again, actually left all his friends behind. You know, he hadn't he didn't know the local area, he had nothing to do, you know, his local pub or whatever it was he used to visit, you know, wasn't there anymore. So actually, even when we are surrounded by our friends and family, or family, you can still feel that deep sense of loneliness if you're not, you know, with the people that you're used to connect to. So is part of it about putting more activities into our lives? Um, I d- not necessarily, I don't think. I think we need to, I think you do need to understand what the, the, the sort of cause is, is below, uh, behind it. Um, you know, actually some of us are very happy alone by ourselves and actually like that sort of isolate that you know isolation so it is it's a very individual thing actually the sort of number and the quality of those relationships you need and I don't think necessarily just um you know and actually probably the one of the worst things you say to someone who is lonely is well you know just get out go and go and join the local go you know let's prescribe you some dance classes well you know if you if you said that to me that'd be the last thing I wanted to do so I think it's (laughs) it's, it's really tapping in pay good money to see that (laughs) it's really tapping into you know what what is really important to that person and I think interesting actually a lot of the the people that volunteer with us uh, as a charity are often looking for something as well themselves it might be a little bit lonely perhaps maybe slightly younger but have have, uh, lost a husband or or a wife and actually they find they get just as much from volunteering and supporting an older person as that older person gets it really is a a two-way friendship as opposed to somebody doing something for someone else. I know what you're saying about the activities thing, but I just want to just press that button a little bit more. I remember being out in Straban in Northern Ireland last year and meeting a group of elderly gentlemen who had never played an instrument before and they met once a week and had music lessons and they they had their own band. There was about 20 of them and they were amazing. And when I spoke to them, it was all about having friends. It was yeah. about the yeah. talking. They loved doing the music because yeah. they were singing. So the thing playing. wasn't important. It was actually yeah. that, that, that group. That sort the of... activity kind of, it was important to get out and do the activity because yeah. that was kind of the motive. Yeah. Or that was the vehicle by yeah. which they were then able to have community. But the yeah. key is to think for the, for the person to be able to think that they're confident enough to engage in the activity. There can be all the activities out in the, in the world, but if they don't feel confident about themselves doing it, then they're not going to make the first step. And sometimes when I'm talking to somebody, I will say to them, we might talk about the past and say, you know, what were some of the hobbies that you used to do before you had your operation? Yeah. Um, and they'll they'll give me a whole list of things. And then I'll say to them, so are there any of those hobbies that you'd like to do again? And they'll say, oh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to do my painting or whatever. And say, so... I'm listening that you really want to do it. What hurdles, what stumbling blocks are there for you to get over so that you can achieve what you want to do? And that's the point I'm making about the activity. There's, there are activities out there, but it's how you empower that person to make the first step 
in in doing that? Because if we've spent lots of time on our own, or we, we feel not necessarily on our own, but we feel isolated, and we get into that negative mindset. How? I mean, I'd I'd be interested to hear that from all of you guys. How to, is there anything that you have found in the work and the people that you meet and the lives that you've had that that helps with overcoming? Those very early steps, those first steps of, you know, there might be someone listening today that's thinking, oh, yeah, I, I liked art at one point, but mm. I, I, my life's terrible. I don't want to, I can't leave the house. I don't, I don't, it's too difficult. Everything's too difficult. I would say the key is little steps. And I, if I'm talking to a patient, I would say, what things do you enjoy doing? It might be they enjoy gardening. It might be walking, whatever it might be. But to to go for a walk to smile at people because when you smile at people and Johnny you mentioned about the smiling and I was sitting there and I was just thinking oh you see he's mentioned the smile and I think that's so important because when you smile and somebody smiles back at you it feels good yeah it does and and that's empowering and that is confidence building in that one simple smile so I think it's really important and I will say to patients that I'm talking with if if the only thing you're doing at the moment is going to the shop try engaging in a conversation with somebody in the shop try engaging with the with the lady or the gentleman that's on the checkout and and just start dipping your toe into having conversations getting this feedback and it takes practice normalization it of everything and that they're the type of, it's the real little things that I will discuss with them I think I think it's worth just and also it's recognizing how tough that can be that mm-hmm. that first step and I think a lot of the, the the older people that do call us or we've we've may well go and visit you know they may well have been with that partner for for 30 40 50 years and um a, a, a chap the other day who you know his his wife was the organizer she was the one that that what you know organized the activities the dancing the singing whatever it might be and now he was having to play a different role again and it took a long long time actually to give him the confidence to re connect with the community around him and it, it you know took a it took probably six months really for, for a volunteer going in supporting him to you know the first time it was okay well let's do the bus trip together you know let's do that mm, and then it yeah. was okay well next time I'll meet the other end and slowly but surely and now he's you know absolutely flourishing 80 83 84 I think he is now but he's back out doing the things that he used to enjoy doing before but yeah I don't think we can underestimate how difficult that, that first step yeah. is or even just talking about being a bit lonely or wanting something more can be have you got anything to add to that, Johnny? Yeah, I was going to say, I think um, really noticing the way that you're talking to yourself as well is really important. Yeah. You know, because um, you can, you can get into these negative uh, kind of cycles, mind states, but really trying to tune into yeah what you're saying to yourself about maybe an activity that, you know, like like the art class, or whatever, I'm not good enough for this, uh, you know, I, I, can't, I can't do this. And, and say to yourself, would you say that if, if it was your, your a family member or a good friend? Because you probably wouldn't, you'd probably be encouraging them. And yeah. so... Um, so true. I think it is for, true though, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> but for me, actually, something that really helped was um, A... <laughs> having little chats with myself in the mirror, <laughs> which, you know, takes some... Chats take some, in the mirror are good. Chats in the mirror are good. <laughs> takes some practice, but, you know, we, you know. Um, and also something that really helped for me was every day I was told to write down three things that um, I liked about myself yeah. and three things that I appreciate about kind of, uh, you know, life and, and mm. the world. And good. got into... It, it, it did change my, my, my mindset, mm. actually. I went from quite a negative from a negative cycle into kind of actually thinking more positively about mm. myself and my life just through doing that um, 
those 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 um, gratitude journals we call yeah. them gratitude journals every single day. It's uh, it did change my mindset. Yeah. So, so speaking positively, talk to yourself in the mirror. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. do it. Little steps. Yeah. we're saying. Yeah, yeah. Simon, I know that um, Jackie just mentioned there about you know joining an art club. How easy is it for people to access these types of activities in their local community? Where do they go to to find those activities if they mm. have got that courage mm. and they think, oh, I'd quite like to do that? Mm. Yeah, that. Where do they go? What? Are the, where do they? Who do they ask? So. Um I think I suppose it does depend on where you live, and I think you know we see a, a huge difference in rural and, and uh, you know people that are live rurally. Uh, rurally can be uh, even more cut off uh, from other people. Um, I would suggest that the you know, GP is a good place to start. You know, with the the whole social prescribing um, arena now really kicking what is off. Social prescribing. So yeah. social prescribing is probably what. Uh, GPs and doctors had time to do maybe 20 years ago and, and you know you'd have the family doctors that, that knew the local community really well and had the time to spend sitting and talking with with patients so now um, we as a, uh, the NHS or the NHS have invested in in link workers to do that social prescri- prescribing so if it's a non-medical issue um, you can spend some time with a link, link worker and they will try and identify um, some of those activities in the communities now some communities are fairly well served others uh, have less going on but I think that's a really good place to start. And likewise, you know, charities like Independent Age, you know, we've got a lot of information on our website um, as well as a, a free phone help uh, line that you can call as well to, to get some more information. I think you're going to get an avalanche. <laughs> <laughs> can, I, can I mention something that I, I've, I've been to a few times is the University of the Third Age. Yep. Do you know the yeah, University yeah. of the Third Age? What's that? So it's... Um, well, essentially, I guess a university for for those that maybe have retired and kind of onto the next stage of life. And I've been and done mental health stuff with with them, and it's amazing. You know, people will stand up at the beginning of a of a session in the afternoon and say, "Right, I'm offering um, a film club this week at my house on Friday night." And then someone else will say, "Okay, I'm going to offer. We're going to go out on a boat. We're going to go sailing uh, in two weeks. Sign up to that." Aww. Someone else will offer I need a history to retire class. Now, this See, sounds great, it's amazing, and it's just so lovely. The, the community there. Uh, is is incredible. Um, I just, yeah, I know it's it's not yeah, everywhere. Yeah. University of Third Age, yeah, but yeah. you know, maybe worth looking at where where mm. your nearest one is, and because yeah. they do do some yeah, yeah. pretty well, amazing. Stuff. I think that's a really important point, John, as well. I think there's there's such a negative stereotype with it about aging that actually, you know, it doesn't have to be all doom and gloom and lonely and sending it home. I saw a dating you website know. on the tube the other day. A dating website for the, for the elderly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, we should we should we should be able to um, yeah. thrive into <laughs> older aging. <laughs> There's hope for us all. Okay, uh, let's have a little look at uh, some Q&As, guys. Uh, There's a letter that we've received. So these are questions that have been submitted by Fiddleworth clients and members of the public. And uh, this is quite a a very moving letter. This is sent anonymously, but it says, um, this is from a wife whose husband has been in hospital. She says... I have felt bombarded with information whilst my husband was in hospital. I could not take it in. It was all too much. They send you home with boxes of stuff that you need. Today, even more has arrived. It's all too much. You're trying to do your best in looking after someone who's really ill, but support of some kind is needed. Yes, I feel isolated. People promise you the world, but when it comes to it, you're on your own. After months of looking after an ill husband, hospital visiting and treatments, you're now on your own. You need a support system. What, I what I don't know. Just have a conversation that's not about stoma bags would be nice. 
I suppose everyone does their best, but the patients at the end of the chain are not treated as an individual with families who are trying to cope. She says, you can see from this that I'm in a lousy mood today. I cannot see a very positive future. What do I do? My gosh, that's... Oh, I want to give you a big hug. Yeah. Whoever you are. My gosh. And actually, that is... Sometimes it is the partners or families of those caring for people who are physically sick that we... Or mentally ill, actually they often don't get asked, how are you? Because this everything, all the focus is on the person that's got mm. some health condition. Yeah. How can we answer a letter like that? I just wish I'd known the lady's name because I would have telephoned her and had a chat with her because my heart really went out to her. It really did. Yeah, it did. <laughs> it is difficult. I think it, this will probably resonate with with lots of people that have spent time in hospital or in social care, you know, it's it's an extremely complex system to try and navigate around um, and often it is the carers that are that are trying to do that. Um, you know, and I think she's doing the right thing. She's identified some of those practical barriers that are really difficult and I think that's the first step is understanding um, where some of those issues are, which it seems to be she is, she's trying, but as we've mentioned earlier, it's taking that first step to to reach out is probably the hardest which hopefully now she's she's done and hopefully now that she will now be able to start trying to work through some of those things with someone and again there are lots of organizations out there that will provide a listening ear somebody just to listen to you and sort of let you get this all off off your chest and and hopefully then that'll give you some some reassurance i think one of the things i love about beyond stigma beyond shame about johnny's charity is that those words stigma and shame you know, it's almost like for me, this lady needs permission to be to feel overwhelmed. Yeah. It's actually, yeah. oh, of yeah. course, you're going to feel overwhelmed. It's almost yeah. like I'm ashamed that I'm overwhelmed. Or why wouldn't you be overwhelmed? Of course, you're overwhelmed. You've got your husband who's who's ill. He's, you've got all this practical stuff. You've suddenly got to get your head round. And once you leave hospital, it is sometimes yeah. difficult. You suddenly that support system may not be quite as in place as you'd hoped it would be and who who does who does she reach out to who does this woman reach out to people like her obviously this is just an example but there will be other people who feel just like this I would advise the lady um, to start with the GP sometimes because the GP what they can do is triage in the sense of making sure that she's not depressed or and she needs signposting in a in a different way and hopefully the gp is receptive um, and empathetic to the cause and gives her some some good advice and um and hopefully she listens to this podcast yeah and then uh, she'll have a, a bit more of an idea of what to do but it is very hard and it so depends sometimes on how empathetic that GP is as to whether that person ever goes back to that service and reaches out for help again. So, Have you, Simon, does that kind of letter shock you or is this the kind of thing you'd be dealing with every day? Um, on the helpline, it's certainly the sort of type of call that we'd be getting you know, on a daily basis, really. Um, and again, I think it's it, the way that things are set up at the moment, we, oft, we often hear from people that are in crisis. So we don't often hear about people that are saying, I think I'm 
you know, going to get lonely or I think I'm, you know, things are starting to go wrong. What can I do? It is at the point of crisis. So, you know, they, they've been putting off talking for so long that it is now it's sort of, you know, this is the time I need to talk to someone. Um, so this is, you know, it's sad to say, but it is not an uncommon sort mm. of uh, a story, unfortunately, you know, made even more complicated by the sort of the, the health and the social care systems that we have, not, not necessarily talking to one another um, and being very, very difficult for for people to, to, to work mm. their way around. The limelight has been on her husband throughout the process of his illness. Yeah. And she would have been... Um, consulted about the the illness and everything, but the main focus is uh, on her it's husband, on him, isn't it? Nobody maybe asks that all important question: Are you okay? Yeah, I, I volunteer for a, a local uh, dementia charity where where I live, um, and we run parallel sessions for those that um, have dementia, and, and then the carers alongside. You know, and, and you, you move from one room to another, and um, there's lots of singing and dancing going on with those that are affected by dementia, and the carers are just having that time out just to you know, not talk about dementia, talk about other stuff that's mm-hmm. going on in their lives, and I th- you know the value in that is huge so again I would perhaps suggest looking at any local carers groups or, or anything that she might be able to get involved in there as well Just on the point that you said before Simon about um, kind of people in crisis point we see that all the time across society people wait until the crisis point yep. to, to kind of reach out and ask for help and you've got to think to yourself you know if you if you were having a stroke if you knew you were having a stroke if you knew you were having a heart attack right right here right now you would instantly yeah. I imagine you'd instantly go and you'd, you'd call 999 you'd, you'd ask for help so if you're having a physical crisis you do you 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 know you have to reach out and ask for help and it's no different if it's a, a emotional health as well you know but we just tend to I'm not, I've done it myself we, we wait we wait we wait we just think oh I don't want to burden anyone mm-hmm. and that's so sad because that's what we hear all the time I'm, I, I don't want to burden someone I, I don't want to um, pick up the phone because someone else's uh, stuff might be more important than mine. I might um, feel not... better tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. All that type of thing, isn't it? Absolutely. But you've got to kind of, again, remember, it's mm. it's no different to that physical. You Again, if you were having a uh, a heart attack, a stroke, you wouldn't say, oh, I'll wait till tomorrow or <laughs> no, you know, exactly. someone else. Someone early else. signs. So those early signs, absolutely. you need to respond to the early signs. Yeah. Absolutely. I just also want to touch on a question we have here uh, from someone who says, I worry a lot about what other people might think of me. Are there methods I can employ to try and switch off the worrying and to help me feel more prepared to socialise again? Now, we've talked a little bit about being prepared to socialise. I think we've covered that. But just this question of worry, it's a big one, isn't it? How And, and you know, when you speak to people, they go, oh, just don't worry about it. Like, But I am going to worry about it. So, yeah, what are your thoughts on worrying and how we help people? I think to take the focus away from the worrying... And I think the way that you achieve that is to put it into positive things, as in going for a walk. What are your little steps that are going to help you to socialise, to engage with people, to have conversations? Because the minute you start having conversations with people, the minute you get out the house, the minute you see the sun shining, the minute you see the beauty of nature, it deflects from those worries. So even if you deflect from those worries for that short time you're out for a walk. That's a positive move. Worries do have a habit of, like, you evict them and then they set up camp somewhere else. (laughs) Did anyone else get that? Just asking for a friend. Absolutely, (laughs) for for sure. I think, um, but the key, I think, as well, is remembering that 
everyone else there, or, or uh, uh, I imagine a large number of people there are also going to be feeling the same. Um, you know, I've been to lots of different kind of support groups for mental health and, and, and you know, different, yeah, social things around mental health. And I'm so, so, so scared and so nervous about, you know, turning up and, and meeting all these people I don't, I don't know and how am I going to look and what am I going to say and what if people don't like me. And But those those worries are so common. We think they're all in our, just our heads alone and everyone else is fine. Yeah. Everyone's putting on this smile. But actually... You've no idea what's going on in everyone else's heads. It's so common. It's so common. And I think just keeping that in mind is, it's always helpful for me. Um, you just People never know feeling, what's going feeling on. They're feeling the same, aren't they? They are. They really are. Even yeah. if they're kind of maybe presenting as, as yeah, it looks, it looks, that person looks fine. Yeah. Actually, you know, underneath there might be this kind of level of, of, of fear and anxiety and, and worry. And, and that's okay. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's yeah. okay. That's the thing. It's, we see it as um, kind of, we beat us, again, we beat ourselves up, don't we? Shouldn't yeah. be worried about this and should, you know, and you just kind of again get into a negative cycle with this worry it shouldn't be feeling like this but actually it's okay to feel like that and it's very so you get worry and then you get a big dollop of shame on top yeah, and then you have absolutely. the perfect combination for <laughs> absolute isolation yeah yeah. anything you want to add Simon? I was just going to say just to pick up on that I think just being a bit kinder to yourself as I think as Johnny mentioned earlier you know it's a good place to start really I think if you've been kind to yourself you've got more chance of being kind to the people yeah, around absolutely. you as well so give yourself a break absolutely guys thank you so much well, I'm afraid that's all we have time for in this first episode of In Good Company. On behalf of Fittleworth, I'd like to thank all of our guests, Johnny, Jackie and Simon, for joining me today and offering such helpful and inspiring insights and advice. If you have any questions you'd like answers to, please email marketing at fittleworth.com or tweet fittleworth at fittleworthmed. If you'd like further information and support with feelings of loneliness and isolation, you can download the accompanying support pack filled with tips and advice at www.fittleworth.com forward slash in good company. Or contact Independent Ages Free Helpline on 0800 319 6789. That's 0800 319 6789. Or you can visit the website at independentage.org. And keep your ears to the ground for the next In Good Company podcast that will be coming in the new year. If you'd like to be involved, have questions to put forward or an experience or story you'd like to share, you can contact the Fittleworth team. You can email marketing at fittleworth.com. That's marketing at fittleworth.com. Or tweet at fittleworthmed. That's it from me, Carrie Grant. Bye-bye. If you've been affected by some of the issues of depression and suicide discussed in this episode, there are several places you can look to for support. Phone the Samaritans Helpline, open 24 hours a day, every day, on 116123. Speak to your GP and ask for an emergency appointment or call 111 out of GP hours who will help you find the support and help that you need.